Bless the Lord. We thank the Lord for his presence in the house and our opportunity to come and worship him and lift up the, the voice of praise and honor and worship and glory that only he is, 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 is welcomed to receive. You know, there's something special that happens with music and voices when we glorify God. It goes to a whole different level. Now, I know in the secular world, there's different songs and things that emote emotions, and they're, they're not all wrong. Some of those are very good. Love songs are very nice. Happy songs are very nice. Um, and you could always, sometimes you get the little chills. Some people get the little hair in the arms standing up in the goosebumps. But there's nothing like the spirit that just shoots up when we come together in unity and in agreement and worship in the house of the Lord. And that's one of the reasons why I'm sure that the epistle said, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. You can't accomplish that alone. You just can't. You can worship in your house alone. You can put on worship music. You can walk around, but you cannot accomplish what happens when you come together in fellowship and in unity and in excellence unto the Lord. And I believe it's because that's the measure of his standard. The Lord is always wanting us to strive for excellence and better. And that's part of what this series is about. The series is about how do we enter into the favor of God? How do we know that we're walking in the favor of God? And is it possible to sustain the favor of God in our lives? And my answer to all of that is yes, Yes, but we need to have understanding. So we're going to take our time with that. I'll do a very brief review of last week. Um, some of you got a hold of me. You caught me leaving. You got a hold of me through the week. And you said that that message really resonated with you. A couple of you told me it was something that was timely that you needed. A few of you told me that it was a, a fresh revelation of something that you had been told and taught before, but never with that same standard. So I believe it is a timely message. I believe it's one that the body of Christ needs right now. I'm going to take my time, present it as a series. And uh, if we only can grab one nugget every time we come together about it, and it's something that is meaningful and sustains you, then the Lord is pleased and, and I am pleased. Again, I want to welcome those of you online. God bless you wherever you're at. God bless you in Africa. God bless you in India. God bless you in Israel. God bless you in Singapore. And there's somebody down under in Australia I hear from every now and then that keeps telling me that they are listening. So God bless you down under and up under wherever you're at. And uh, if you're under the sheets right now, I suggest you get out of bed. It's a beautiful day. It's sunny side outside and you still have time. Uh, we don't care if you come in your bathrobe, come on to church. We've got coffee here for you and we'll even feed you and give you some snacks. Lord, thank you, Father, for what you've done. Thank you for what you're going to do. Allow our words to be true and resonate and honor you. Let nothing untrue be said. We set aside flesh, Father, egos. We set aside personal ambitions. We've come, Father, to learn, to understand, to raise you up and to be servants and to be those bearers, standard bearers for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, Jeff, on my way in, as we were going to start worship, I looked out my window of my office, and there was a 
lady dressed in red, white, and blue, and she had a little poodle. And she was walking right through our, our, our little portico out there and right underneath my office. I, I have to confess, I couldn't help myself. I opened the window and I said, hey, we allow dogs in the house. And that portico you just walked through has a door. You can come right in it, bring that little doggy with you and have some coffee. She went like this and kept on, kept on walking. But who knows? Who knows? I thought she was coming to church with the poodle. Be a first for us, but that's okay. Actually, we had somebody a long time ago with a dog running around in the church, didn't we? That dog did a doo-doo, so we had to tell her to, <laughs> to do-do something with the doo-doo dog. The favor, the favor of God. You know, again, as I said to you last week, if I was to ask somebody, what is it that you, that you want most? What is it that you're seeking the most in your life? you would probably say you, you want to have success, you want to have favor, you want to have peace. It all rolls into one, doesn't it? Um, the one thing that we for sure want to have is a purpose life. Now, you recall some years back there was uh, a lot to do about the purpose-driven life. And uh, that was a timely thing, and it was a good thing, and um, wasn't some of it. Uh, wasn't quite foundational scripturally as I would approach, but that doesn't matter. God used it in its time and in its place. And so I'm not taking us back to that moment. What I'm taking us to is a preparation of ourselves, our walk in a clarion call to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And the first coming of Jesus was announced by many prophets, and it was announced by Jesus himself, and it was the inauguration of the church, wasn't it? He inaugurated the church, and he said that, that there would be a church that would expand, and it would be a kingdom without end. He's telling us by the prophets and by his words. He gave a commission, go forward and preach the gospel, establish my kingdom, bring my kingdom, bring my father's kingdom throughout the earth. That commission hasn't quit, and now it's intensifying because the king is preparing to return and to not only affirm his kingdom here on earth, but to establish his government here on earth like it's never been before. Mind can't fathom what the Lord is going to do. We could sit and attempt to have all kind of eschatological teachings that would encompass the prophets, the book of Revelation, and try to put a whole map together. But mind can't comprehend what's gonna happen when the Lord himself is here on this earth. Him preaching and giving us assignments and establishing his government here on earth. Jesus is going to return. And Jesus is going to return maybe sooner than a lot of people think. Now, I'm not talking about a week or a day or a year, and I'm not going to put any timelines shorter or longer. But what I am going to tell you is I really believe that this generation, however it crosses its timelines, is a generation that is called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord like none other before it. Even the first generation, the first generation you had John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came preaching one message, repent, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And of course, the Jews at that time were the ones receiving that message. And those who were receiving it were those who were looking for it. 
those who weren't looking for it were what? They were ground up in a religion of the time that was ignorant and insensitive to what was really happening in the Spirit because that religion was not being led by the Spirit. It was being led by law, custom, tradition, and a lot of humanism and flesh. And the tradition got in the way of the Spirit. I'd love to tell you that we're a unique system in church in today, but we are not. There's tradition, culture, religion that's getting in the way of the call of the Spirit. And if we do not open our eyes and open our ears to receive and understand, we too could be as complacent as that culture was at that time with the coming and birth of Jesus Christ. Now think of it this way. It wasn't that they were waiting for the birth of Jesus Christ. They didn't know Jesus Christ was born. He was already on earth. It wasn't as if the, the elements that were required to understand weren't here. They were here. It was prophesied by the temple. This is the one, Simeon, this is the one I've been waiting for. Now I can go home. The prophetess that cried out, this is the anointed one. His cousin, John the Baptist, who waited for his time and then went and was baptizing, which was what? Baptism is a Jewish ritual. They don't call it baptism. They call it wash, water washing, and there's different words for it. Today, if you go to the Western Wall, people are still there coming, and they're doing a labum. They're doing the washing of the hands and preparing to go down to the wall. It's a washing ceremony. It wasn't new but it had a different spirit and a different call to what was. And that's the same as today. What was isn't what we're supposed to be stuck on. Now we all came through something and we came through things. And if you lived long enough and been in the Lord long enough, you could name movements, right? I can historically name you movements that go all the way back to Christ's birth. And that would be a Bible study. But we can talk about movements we've lived through, I've lived through, you've lived through. Going back to the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement, the prophetic movement, the apostolic movement. Movements, movements, movements. We've had a lot of movements. But now is the time when the Lord is calling us to prepare the way for his kingdom. And this is an inaugural moment. He's about to inaugurate another move of himself here on earth. The difference is it's not one man called John the Baptist called to a Jordan River to preach out in the wilderness and to give a message to those who would come from wherever they came. It's a church. It's a people. It's an ecclesia. And Jesus Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church. And he's building his church. Unfortunately, not all of the church is the church. We understand that. We understand that there's a dysfunctional bride. There's a bride that has blemish, that has spot. We understand that the only way you remedy that is for us to remedy first ourselves and then to move forward with a message. So favor of God is extremely important in these times. We understand through Isaiah that he prophesied this time would come on the earth. Many have thought it came times past. There were some very dark times in the past, but there was a difference. The glory of the Lord wasn't being exposed throughout the earth. Isaiah said, arise, shine. He said, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee, gross darkness upon the earth. There's a gross darkness upon the earth that is beginning and trying to overcloud the glory of God. 
But the difference is that now the glory of the Lord is over the whole earth. It wasn't in World War II. It wasn't in World War I. It wasn't in other times of darkness on the earth because there was no way to present the glory over the whole earth. Technically, technologically, even with the passion of people in their ministry and their missions, and we needed what? We needed a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit came to prepare the century past, but then it came in the middle of the century. It came again in different elements of the century. And now here, in this 21st century, the Holy Spirit is pouring out to give the people of God and equip us what we need to overcome darkness and to be the light in the world, to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We are those who have seen a stark example of that right here in our time, in our lives, in this country and from this house. We understood that it was, it was absurd to believe that there would be three new Supreme Court justices appointed in one four-year period, even when we got down to the last 30 days, for what purpose to change the law of the land to stop the killing of babies? That was because... That was because of a perseverance that would not stop, and it was because it was putting the kingdom first before everything else. That battle has just begun. That is a modern-day deliverance that's equal to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. That's how big that is. That's huge. Because while we have a president, unfortunately, that went and apologized for us in Europe, telling people how absurd and wrong our Supreme Court is, he's not the voice of the church. The voice of the church says, glory be to God, and God do more. And the voice of the church held on strong. Let's talk about that voice. That voice wasn't necessarily coming as it should have through born-again churches. People were divided politically. People were divided culturally. People were divided racially. People were divided under all different means about, well, you know, there's other things that we need and want, so we're going to leave that one aside. And many, many, many churches, pastors, denominations, cultures compromised what God would not have had compromised to accept things that shouldn't have been accepted. And the Lord knows how, how people voted in the voting booth. The Lord knows who made a decision to compromise what and to promote an agenda that wasn't of God. God knows. You know, sometimes what's the Lord say? You're better not to do that than to do that. And sometimes people would have been better off not to vote than to vote against that. And now what? What's the clarion call we're hearing coming from the political system, coming from humanism, coming from agendas and personal agendas, selfishness? It's not the kingdom. It's go to the voting booth so that we can overturn it again and have it done by our Congress, our misfit Congress. Let's do it again. So we need to understand something. This isn't a call to tell people to go vote. This is a call to tell people that can't vote the right way not to vote for their own good. God will hold people accountable. And we can hide in the dark. And we can hide with our mouths, but we can't hide from God. There's no place to hide from God. Now, how many times have you heard somebody tell people, if you can't vote the right way, don't vote? You heard it first right here. Amen. And I'm sure that I'll be ridiculed for that. I don't care. 
So listen, we're in a time when the kingdom of God is, if you will, it's like a percolator. It's percolating here on earth and in heaven. And the things of heaven are transferring to earth so that we can be the conduit and that we can be the like kind to receive that kind of what's in heaven. Every kind brings forth its own kind. That's a rule. That's a law of creation. We go back to Genesis in creation every day. Let each kind bring forth its own kind, right? And it multiplies. So we need to have those mysteries. God said it has been given unto us to learn and to know, to unlock the keys to the mystery of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That means there's still mysteries we have yet to learn. Do you think we've learned all the mysteries and they've been taught in every Bible college or professed by every prophet or coming off of every word or written in every book? God preserves things for times. And those times are when he releases them. Think about it this way. Who is the master tactician of all spiritual warfare? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ went into hell. He disarmed the devil. He took him like a possum, didn't he? He basically said, here I am, take me, kill me. Pull me down into the bowels of hell and let me show what's going to happen. And what happened in that place when the glory of the Lord rose him from the dead, when the Holy Spirit entered back into his body with power and fire, he broke the generational curses in hell so that you and I could be free. Those, that was a mystery. That was a mystery. Nobody saw it coming. The angels didn't see it coming. They didn't know. All the earth went into mourning. The Father turned his back on the Son on the cross. There was darkness over the earth. Creation, God saved that mystery so that it would save you. And the enemy had no way of preparing for it. He was caught. Let me tell you something. The power, and I feel the Holy Ghost all over me. The power, the anointing. What is the anointing? The anointing is God empowering us to do something we can't do ourselves in the spirit. God is empowering a fresh anointing upon the body of Christ. There are going to be weapons that the enemy hasn't seen yet, spiritual weapons that God's going to release for the people of God so that we can be victorious to prepare the way and overcome. These are those who overcame by the word of their testimony, and by the blood of the Lamb. God isn't going to say just overcome by suffering. Fellowship of suffering in Philippians 3.10 isn't about us having to just succeed and say, I'm going to suffer. Oh, Lord, look at me, I'm going to suffer. That doesn't please God. What pleases God is that we fellowship in the suffering of Christ, which what? It resulted in the most tremendous victory ever recorded in creation. That's what we fellowship in, the victory of the fellowship of suffering. Overcoming by the blood of the Lamb is already done. You don't need the blood of the lamb to do anything else for you. Huh? It's done. Listen to me. I know some of you don't like it, and it's been cultural, and it's been a talisman that you've gone with. You don't need to plead the blood over everything in your life. The blood has already accomplished it once and for all. That isn't your weapon. That was his weapon. We overcome by his blood. Your weapon is to believe in faith that you're victorious, to establish that you're more than a conqueror, and to declare it. Amen. He didn't say to plead the blood over the mountain. He said, speak to the mountain, and it shall be moved, because the blood has already done it. 
So we need to understand that we've got to move in and take ground that hasn't been taken before. Now, there's a time and place for all things, right? We've all come through some stuff. I could give you a, a long litany of the stuff I've come through, and you could the litany I've come through. And the stuff that worked for me then isn't the stuff that's supposed to work for me now. God blinked at the things that I did back then to help to nurture my faith, to nurture my understanding. But if he left me at only that place, I wouldn't be able to, to slay giants. I would still be trying to slay midgets. We have to slay giants. We're called to slay giants, so we need giant slaying weapons. Giant slaying weapons is to be like Christ is, not to beg Christ to do what he's already done. And so you can, God will meet you in that level if that's where you're at. He's a gracious God. But it's in that point, you rolling up your sleeves and working a lot harder than you need to work. The favor of God rests upon us when we rest upon him. The favor of God aligns with us when we are aligned with him. Thy kingdom come. I want to go back to a, a Bible story, one that you've known a long time, and it's been preached so many different ways. It comes out of Luke 10, starting in verse 38. If you have the New American or International Standard, that's fine, but just bring it up with whatever you have. Luke 10, verse 38. Now this is Martha and Mary, right? Martha and Mary. Now it came to pass, as they went, he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Next verse. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Next verse. Jesus answered her and said, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, say one thing, is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, better word, that best part, which shall not be taken away from her. Remember I was talking with you last week, and I said to you, we can become distracted doing good things. We can become distracted doing many good things. In fact, you could spend all your time chasing one good thing after another. I'm sure some of you experience what I experience. Every day, I have people attempting to have me do something. And typically, it's a good thing. They don't call me up and say, Frank, let's go rob a bank together. I, you know, I, those days are past. They, they call me up, and, and they want to talk about doing a good thing, because they have a good idea that God has given them to go do. And it could be anything from feeding the poor, which Jesus said. You have the poor always. If you're called to feed them, go feed them. But you know what I say to the people that always want to go feed the poor and call me to go feed the poor? Did you sell everything you have to give to the poor yet? And they look at you like this. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. Did you sell everything you have? You still got a car and a house and some clothes? I, I mean, if you're called to do that, God bless you. Don't put that burden on me because you're distracting me. And I could run around and take assignments and accept 
invitations and do all kind of things, but I've learned to try to prioritize. Notice I say the word try and prioritize. What is the best thing God has called me to do? What he was saying is, Martha, she's doing a, you know, she's doing a good thing. It's not that she's doing a bad thing. She, she's doing a, a good thing. Your sister's doing a good thing, but it's not the best thing. The best thing is what? To sit at my feet and to learn the things of the kingdom because you are called to establish the kingdom. He was putting the kingdom number one. The kingdom is number one. When the kingdom is number one in your life and in my life, guess what happens? Everything lines up in the favor of God for you. Now, it doesn't mean God won't bless you in other things. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't instruct everyone to go do this. This happened to me. I, I came alive in the Lord. I came out of darkness. I came out of, first of all, three and a half years of, 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 of Catholic high school as not a Catholic. And so I had that in my head. Then I had four years plus of philosophy and political science and all of the Mideastern religions and philosophies, I had that in my head. And of course, being in the world, and then I became a very strict Jew again, and I had the orthodoxy Jew in my, Jewishness in my head and the law in my head, and literally was spending days and hours memorizing all 400 plus laws so that I would try to keep them, and keeping a journal of the ones I kept and didn't keep, Go, yeah, pretty weird stuff. And, and I picked up this book that somebody had given me and I was reading in the Gospels and I saw this challenge where Jesus said, follow me. And the person said, uh, Lord, you know, I, I, I wanna follow you. And he said, but go sell everything you have. I was a rich guy. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. And we don't know the rest of the story. The rich guy disappeared. Well, you see, I took that as the fact that, boy, I got, stuff. I got a lot of stuff. I got, I got cars. I had two, three cars. My, my closets were full with all kinds of stuff. I even had a rabbit fur coat. I had Lucchese boots that cost me $800 when I was performing on stage. I had jewelry. I had furniture. I had, I had two Mercedes. I had a lot of stuff. So what do you think I did? I went and gave all my stuff away. Everything. I had a, a green army coat left, a pair of blue jeans, some work boots, and that was about it. I don't even want to get into the rest of the private items of what I had left, right? A few things left. I gave it all away and I, because I was trying to pursue him legally. I said, okay, Lord, am I qualified now? And he was quiet. He didn't answer me. It was like, boy, that's a stupid question, but... I'll let you learn. But you know something? I believed God when he said something with that word because he'll meet you at the place that you're at. And what he said is if you'll forsake mother, father, son, or daughter, if you'll forsake what you have for me, I will bless you a hundredfold in this life and in the one to come. I hope that most of you don't have to make those choices. I had to make those choices. I had to walk away from family. I had to walk away from a daughter. I had to walk away from a business. I walked away from all my stuff. I went through a literally, literally difficult time for two, three years that but for the grace of God, I wouldn't be alive today. I'm not wishing that on anybody, but I can tell you this much. 
The kingdom and the rules of God, they're true. I'm blessed. My family's blessed. We are blessed. We're blessed more than a hundredfold for what I gave away. We're blessed in ways that aren't just financial. We're blessed in ways that are spiritual. And I've seen that blessing flow upon my children. And I've seen it flow upon, flowing upon my children's children. What greater blessing can you have? And I see that God has expanded the sphere of the kingdom of influence that God trusted me with at that time, which was just me, some things, and him. My whole ministry was sneaking into assisted living homes and nursing homes and into hospitals to go pray for people who didn't know who I was and what I was about. And I would just pray for them because God answered my prayer and gave me the gift of healing. I was a baby. I didn't even know what it was about. I just wanted it because he said, if you lack anything, pray and I'll give it to you. And I, that was the beginning of ministry for me. We went to a wedding last night of a little, he's not little anymore, he's a doctor now. And his, their children, the, of the parents we went to, last night were the same ages as our daughters, as Mikkel, each one of them the same age. And I was looking at that, and as we walked around, and I didn't really recognize everybody, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of people, some of them would come up, and two of them in particular. And uh, one lady came up to my wife and I, and she said, I'll never forget, you came and prayed for my husband some years back, you anointed him, and he got healed immediately. Now, I'd never heard from them again since I'd prayed for them. And to be honest with you, I forgot about it. I really did. I don't keep account of those things. And then I ran into a, another person who said to me, Are, do you have that church over there off of 46? I drive by it all the time. And I wonder how God has used someone like you and what you're doing. I said, well, come and visit us. And he said, I'm going to come and do that. And I thought back to myself as I was laying my head down last night saying, Lord, you're so good. You're so good. You turn around things. You redeem us. You put us back into place. And I said, Father, please, 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 don't let me slip from keeping your kingdom my number one priority. That's my prayer. Please don't let me get enticed to where other things become a more important priority. It doesn't mean not to work. <laughs> I work, you work, we work. It means what's the priority? Whose is it? God is just entrusting me with things that I may have for the kingdom, not things to build for myself, right? It's, it's, it's our home, but it's not our home. It's, it's our things, it's our finances, but it's not our things and finances because he owns everything. And if he owns me, now for some of you that might seem troubling. You might say, you know, I, I, I don't like that. Well, if you call him Lord, everything is the Lord's. But that's a good thing. Because who would you rather trust your stuff with, yourself or him? Huh? Who's going to do a better job of your stuff, him or you? Who can multiply your stuff, you or him? Now, I know, you know, there's some investment in some things, and money goes up and money goes down, but... You're talking and looking at somebody who's been down and out at least three times, big time, from here to there. You know those stories about rags to riches, riches to rags, rags to riches, riches to rags, been there and lived that. And every time it's been a bit of a depression. 
I'm going to be honest. It's like, huh, I'm done. And every time you measure time, oh boy, I'm this old now, and ah, I'm just going to live to learn like I am. And that's the end of it. But then God gives more opportunities and more things happen, and all of a sudden God speeds up time. How many of you know that time is the currency of your life? Your life is measured by time. Hmm? Time to lose, time to gain. Time to give, time to take. Time to live, time to die. Everything's by time. So what is the best thing you can do to make God number one in the kingdom of God, number one and have favor? It's be a good steward of your time. Steward of your time. Steward of your time for the kingdom of God. Now, let me set something straight. I, just like you, there are certain things that I enjoy, entertainment that I enjoy, things that I enjoy, family, children, food, things that you enjoy. I'm not telling you to give those up. I'm telling you, number one, to appreciate that as a blessing and gift of God. And number two, not to let it be a priority over the kingdom of God. I have many friends that golf all the time, and some of them like to go out on Sunday morning, and some of them have said to me, you know, you used to golf, why don't you come out with us on Sunday? I said, no, 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 I can't do that. We'll come out with us on Saturday. I said, no, I can't do that because I'm preparing for Sunday and I'm still working. Well, come out with us on Wednesday. I said, I'm sorry, I can't, because that's one of the days I record, and we also have to work. You see, it's a priority of life. Now, I'm not knocking it. It's a good thing. I, I would believe that there's many good conversations and souls and people that are helping experience each other in the things that they do. I love a good football game. You're never going to get that out of me. And, and, and you're never going to convince me God's not in football, right? I had a young pastor underneath me in uh, Miami, and uh, he said he got tired of me talking about how <clears throat> I would train my players that, we, that losing's no fun, right? Coaches aren't supposed to do that. We're supposed to train people. Well, there's, there's a benefit, a lesson to be learned in losing. Yeah, it's that winning is better. I trained my kids, my teams, my high school, and when I was blessed to, to uh, also be involved with the Youngstown State team for those years, to win, to win. Not to mope when we lose, but to say we don't like it. And I have to tell you, I'm blessed. I always had winning teams because I established that right off the bat. I said, there's no fun in losing. I said, whoever's telling you it's fun to lose, Go play something else. Go play chess. This is a physical sport. You play it to win it. You don't play football just to have a good time. You're not going to have a good time if you lose. Come on. Right? You don't worship music and try to learn how to play an instrument. Y'all are going to be like this. Oh. You don't try to sing if you don't have a voice. We are those that God is equipping to win. And he wants us to know that we are equipped to win. There's no glory in losing in the kingdom of God. We bless our enemies, it's like pouring hot coals on their head. Remember that. It's like pouring hot coals on their head. What's the head? The fire of God. Maybe it's for salvation, maybe it's for purification. Sometimes it's for elimination. I can't tell you, I could 
tell you many, multiple numbers of people that have been eliminated that have come against me and the anointing that God's put upon my life and all I've done is blessed them. Some still around, most of them gone. For some reason, they were overwhelmed with coming against me. I can't imagine why, because there's so many better things to do on earth than to waste their time on me. Same thing, I've learned that lesson. I'm not going to waste my time on bad relationships. Listen to me. You can do a lot of good, and you can get distracted. And someone will say, yeah, but pastor, you know, that, that one person that I just got to stay in their ear. And I say, how long have you been in their ear? Well, seven years, eight years, nine years. How much energy have you released on them? Oh, a lot. How many resources have you spent? Oh, a lot. How about some of that for the people that, that need God? Now you say, Pastor, that sounds brash. No, no, that's not brash. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. She was doing a good thing. Martha was doing a good thing. She was busy. Very busy. She was even preparing something for the Lord himself. But she was missing the opportunity to be at the feet of the Lord. Do you think that Jesus really needed to eat? What was his passion? My father's kingdom. He would rather teach the kingdom than do anything else. He'd rather give his life for the kingdom for you and I than anything else. Kingdom first. What Mary had first, the good part, will never be taken away from her. It will be there always. Now many of us love this scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. Put it up, please. I'm going to show you something in it you may not have seen before. Jeremiah 29, 11. You see, we've got to get aligned with understanding the things of Scripture. It's nice to pluck them out and use them for our purpose. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many like that Scripture? Some of you. Some of you don't. You just, you, you, you're, hey! How many of you like that Scripture? Yeah, we like it. That's right. We all like it. That's a good scripture. But that doesn't mean that you're going to have peace and a good future and a hope. What? Because that's what he intends for you. But if you're not obedient and you don't understand it and you don't make the priority him your intention, then you're going to, you're going to lose out on that. How many of you know that the saddest thing is a successful life that distracts you from God? Hmm? I can tell you personally, Sonny, for the first time, he heard the album that I walked away from. It was done very well, wasn't it, Sonny? You could tell a lot of time and money went into that, a lot of musicality, a lot of thought. I was there at the crossroad when the Lord saved me, and they were tugging me. They had a, six plus figures in it. Time to go, time to go release this album, go on tour. Go on tour with Yes and some big teams. Go on tour. But in my spirit, I knew that if I took that path, I'd be walking away from the call of God in my life. It was hard. I'd devoted my life since I was 13 years old to performing and going out and writing, producing, being ready to go, developing a sound, a unique sound, finding the producer, 
finding the fun, finding the record label, all of that stuff. I was right there, and I put it aside. I'm not telling you I was a great person for doing it. I wasn't happy. And they kept calling me, threatening me financially. I said, I got nothing. I gave it all away. What are you going to take? Going to bleed a rock? And then I would witness to them, and they'd go away. I couldn't pick music back up for over 10 years because every time I did, the old stuff came into my spirit. I had to wait for it to go. I didn't even resurrect those tapes until a month ago here. Brought them back out. We have to make hard decisions in our life. How we serve God and what we serve God in. And I thank God. I thank God that in my own ignorance and possibly yours too, that he was faithful when we didn't even know how to be faithful. God is faithful. Kingdom priority, number one. God has a plan and purpose for you that's a wonderful plan and brings you peace. But you have to get aligned with God in order for that scripture to be true in your life. If you're sinning, don't expect God's plan to be peace for you. If God gave you peace sinning, you'd just think sinning was the thing to do. I pray for me and for you that if and when we sin, that God stirs up our conscience so much that we can't sleep until we get rid of it. 1 John 1, 9, confess it, get rid of it. Reconcile with someone if we need to. Make recompense. That's the other thing that I think the church has gone south on. It's one thing to ask God to forgive. It's another thing to forgive and reconcile. Hmm? Offend somebody. God, forgive me. Okay, it's over. No, you've got to go back to that person and reconcile too. That's the hard part. Asking God to forgive is the easy part. He's made it easy because of the blood of the Lamb. He's made it easy because of His grace. The hard part is face-to-face. Mono el mano with somebody say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I hurt you. And sometimes, how many times have you heard it? But. I know I did this, but. Stop the but. The but right away says that you're justifying why I did something wrong to somebody else. Right? But. But. We have to learn to run to the altar for forgiveness and run to the person for restoration and reconciliation. Even if you don't get it, release it. That's where we fall short in the body of Christ. We frustrate grace. We frustrate grace. If we want to walk in the favor of God, then we need to stay aligned with God in everything that we do. Now let me straighten that out too, please. Every religion that I've studied, and I've studied a bunch, Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism to a degree, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah Witnesses, we can name them. There's, how, many, how many of you know there's hundreds of religions? People don't even know that they are. Every one of them is based upon doing good things in order to receive the favor of a god. Karma. Karma. Every one of them is if I do this, then that God is going to do this. 
Some of them got millions of gods. I mean, it's funny, but it's not funny that, you know, in, in, in the Hindu religion, six years ago, somebody made Trump a god. <laughs> Silly looking god. Elephant gods, all kind of gods. The purpose being to get something from God, the God, a God, whoever that is. That's not what I'm talking about for the favor of God. The kingdom of God, by His will, by His words, by His intent, by the sacrifice of His only Son, by His love, by His grace, by the restoration and recreation of being born again, the kingdom of God must favor and bless you with anointing if you are walking in truth in the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of God. There's no other alternative to that or else God's a liar. And even though the requirement to make the kingdom of God is, is, is absolute, it's unequivocated. You must make the kingdom of God first that doesn't mean it's limited. It's unlimited. And it's abundance that flows to you because you're aligned in the favor of God. So while we aren't those who want to do things in order for God to do things for us, we are those who have a passion and a desire and a thrill and an excitement to do things for the kingdom of God Understanding and knowing that if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what? He will supply all things unto you. Kingdom first. Priorities. So, possibly for you to do something I just did myself again. List your priorities. Now, I'm going to give you the first answer, so that you don't flunk the test, kingdom of God. Priority, kingdom of God. Then after that, it's up to you. Because God gives you a playbook for your life. I don't. Nobody does. No denomination does. No religion does. The Bible does. And when you go to the Scriptures and you're aligning your priorities... Pray over that, and then discipline yourself in those priorities. And begin to be a watchdog of your own currency of life, your time. Because I assure you that there will be many forces that will try to steal your time so that you cannot be as effective as God wants you to be for the plans and purposes He has for you. Yes, that's true. I know the thoughts, says the Lord, that I think toward you. The thoughts that I think. The thoughts that I think. He doesn't say the plans that I do. The thoughts that I think. You have to unlock those thoughts. Those are called mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Your life and God's final destiny for you is a mystery until you understand it. How can we pursue and seek a priority unless we know what the plan is in our purpose. You can't. 
you're aimless. I'm aimless. We're just aimless out there. If we stop and ask the Lord, show me the plan and purpose for me, present tense, and if you will, Lord, by your mercy, as much as you will, show me future. Show me future. Think of it this way. Visualize it this way. How many of you watched the bobsled races in the Olympics? Right? Right? You watched them? Gene, you watched them? Not much. You didn't care about them. Not, not physical. The Germans usually win it anyway. God bless them. You know. There was a Jew. There was an Israeli, actually, participate. He didn't do too good, but hey, he was there. I don't know where he practices at because they don't have any of that stuff over in Israel. You must go to... But there's rails, aren't there? They build these things and they're long. They're like a mile. And they bend around and they curve fast and they're engineered and you have to learn how to move that thing within between the rails, first of all, to stay on the track and not overturn, and secondly, to try to win. If we're off the rails... How can we get to the end result of where our plan and purpose is? We have to be within the rails. Something about being within the rails, momentum picks up. Time will accelerate for you. And what would have taken you a second or a minute may take a second, or what took an hour may take a minute, or what took a week may take a day, or a month may take a week, or years can be compressed. When we are aligned with the calling of God and His plan and purpose in what we do, and if we wait on the Lord, He will renew our strength to do that which we're supposed to do. Not just renew our strength to be busy. Busyness is an excellence unto God. Sometimes we think we're so busy that we're pleasing God. No, sometimes we're not pleasing God by being busy unless we're doing the things God has asked us to do if we have a plan, if we understand the plan it is, and we stay within that plan and never compromise God, and never make that plan your kingdom. It's always His kingdom. Finally this. Today you could see so easily where great anointed people of God, male and female, great anointed people of God, have somehow, in running their race, don't even realize that they're derailed. All of a sudden, it's no longer His kingdom, even though that's the theme, it becomes their kingdom. And their kingdom is more important than His kingdom. Think about it. Nothing is more sad for me than to be around somebody who's so anointed, so gifted of God, has experienced so much success for the Lord, and to watch them trying to hold on something beyond its time, instead of letting it go and say, Lord, what is it you want for me in your kingdom now? And the, they're actually resisting what becomes the solution. If God stays the solution, if the kingdom stays the solution, and it's time to let one thing go for another thing to come, that's when God will make that thing come. I know from experience I've held on to things too long, and I've watched it become one battle after another battle and just disintegrate. Another thing we learn 
When we try to build stuff outside of the kingdom of God and we truly love the God and there's an anointing and call upon you as a child of God, you'll find out that those things that you build don't have a foundation and they can evaporate very quickly, very quickly. A bad business partner, a bad situation, something. Even though you strived and you worked so hard at it. Final good news. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve decided that the kingdom of God wasn't as important as their own desires and their own thoughts, their own agenda, and they fell. What happened was that the favor of God separated from them. And then all of a sudden it became a religion. If you do this, this, and this, God will do this, this, and this. A law. And of course nobody could do it. And that persisted until Jesus Christ on the cross. And that persisted until Jesus Christ descended into hell. One of the most important things that he accomplished for you and I was he broke that generational curse. That's a generational curse. It goes all the way back to the first generation. And that generational curse said that what? You're going to toil in the land. You're going to going to strive for your needs. You're going to strive for the things you need. Clothing. You were naked, but now you need to be clothed. You're going to strive for food. Your hands are going to bleed because you're going to be working for your basic needs. Remember Maslow and the needs? He had nine basic needs, and the first ones were about eating, clothing, survival, comfort, all those things. At the end of it, it became self-activization and and those kind of things, evaluation to where you could have a better quality of life. Most of humanity is stuck in the four basic needs, the supplying the needs and the wants. The needs and the wants. Jesus broke that. That was a generational curse. He broke that. But it's only broken for those of us who are born again and walking in new creation. It's not broken for those who aren't. They're still subject to that curse. And that curse is you've got to work hard to get everything you need, your food, your supplies, your clothing. Those basic needs are the most important things for you. No. Once again, once again, we see Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added unto you. All of them added unto you. He's made it so simple for us. He broke the curse. That's called the favor of God. The favor of God says, don't worry about it. I got you. You're going to have clothes. You're going to have food. I'm going to take care of your basic needs. I'm going to take care of what it is that you need. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Two qualifications. Kingdom first. Maintain your righteousness in Jesus Christ. He was made sin who had never sinned that you might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You've been made righteous. You can't make yourself any more righteous, but you can sustain it by obedience and good living. Amen. Kingdom first.
Kingdom first. Things of God first. Obedience to God. Father, thank You, Lord, for taking us on this path. Taking us on this path, Lord, where we can assess ourselves. I can assess myself. You can fine-tune us, Lord. Align us. Help us to make decisions at this time in our life, in this point in our life, with grace, with balance, with understanding. Prioritizing our times, our currencies, our relationships, the things we do. Help us with that, Father, for Lord knows we can't do it ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, that indeed your thoughts for us are peace. The plans and purposes are good. Help us, Father, to release and know those thoughts and to walk in the best that we can, not in the busyness of goodness, but in the greatness of serving your kingdom. Help us with it, Father. You be blessed, O Lord. Father, we desperately need everything you can give us to overcome these times of darkness. Equip us, Lord, as you promised. Do so abundantly, Father. Give us that abundant life, those tools that we need, Father, that we can walk in that for you. Father, how, how we long to hear those words as we cross over from the currency of time into the eternity of our life with you. Those words that say, well done. Well done, my daughter. Well done, my son. Let us be stewards of the things you give us, turning one into two and two into three and three into five and five into ten. We don't know how to do it, Lord, but you'll do it. Help us to be good stewards, Father. In every facet you give us, let us walk with a supernatural grace and love. It's hard, Father, but it's so easy when it's kingdom first with everything. Not making decisions based upon what we want, but based upon what we know is your will, led by your holy word, by you, Holy Spirit, our conscience, our voice. By you, our Lord Jesus, and by you, our Holy Father, blessed be thy name, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.